Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your mercy and uh, for your graces. Help us to study the word and uh, have uh, an edifying time. Help us to understand Ephesians 4 in uh, deeper ways and uh, to be uh, encouraged to, uh, to apply what we learn and to remember really so that it would be a, a daily motivation and a pursuit uh, of our lives. Amen. Amen. So the title of today's uh, teaching is That is not the way you learn the Christ. The way to what? That is not the way you learn the Christ. That's the title. This is not the way you learn the Christ. So let's turn to Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. It's going to be our passage for today. Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. I'll write it here because we'll come back to the passage. And so every time I say the passage, then this would be where we're looking at. All right, so Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. Now this I say and testify in the law that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn the Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off, the, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. All right, so let's, uh, let's start with a question. What are the first four words that you have in your translation? Anybody? And you can name your translation too. Now this I say. Okay, so that will be the ESV, I assume? Yes. Okay, somebody else has another translation or another first four words. What, are, what about you guys over there? What are the first four words of your translation? Same thing. What about you? Same thing as well? Ephesians 4, it's written right here, 17 through 24. Yes, it's the same thing. This I say. And what about you, Don? So you might have heard preachers say things like, you have to ask what the therefore is there for. So there are different translations, but many of them, especially the literal translations, they say therefore. So every time you have a therefore, you have to ask, okay, so he say consequent, consequently, as a result, therefore, Based on what he has said before, he is telling us what we are reading right now. So we have to figure out what did he say before. And so what I want to mention here is something that will help us compare three passages that we are going to be looking at today. I'm going to write them here. There is Colossians chapter 3 and there is Romans chapter 12. In all these uh, three chapters, we see their falls. In fact, if you look at the word, it's uh, un, it's translated now in the ESV, it's translated therefore in the Legacy Standard Bible, KJV, and so on. And so this word in the book of Ephesians, we have it 
for the most part, in chapter 4, we have it just once in 2.19, but it talks about as a result of who we are, we should live in a certain way. And then in chapter 4, 1, 4.17, 5.1, 5.7, 5.15, 6.14, it says, therefore, 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 therefore. And every time it talks about practical things. So in other words, he's been talking about theology, truth, doctrine, in chapters 1, 2, and 3. And then chapter chapters 4, 5, and 6, he says, okay, so because this is true, this is how we should live. Theology is followed by practice. And in Colossians, it's the same Wait, thing. Theology as well? It's followed by practice. practice. So Christianity is not just, uh, we learn all those facts and we have them in our mind and it's wonderful and I live just like anybody else. No. If it's true that Ephesians 1, we are elect of God, we are predestined to look like Christ, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, we are washed away, we are washed by the blood of Christ, and uh, we are no longer dead in our sins, chapter 2, but we are made alive together with Christ, prepared for good works. Well, that means that it's going to change our life. And so therefore, 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 this is not the way you have learned the Christ. So, you see. therefore, yeah. theology is followed by practice. Yes. And in Colossians, it's the same thing. The second half of the book has all the therefores. And in Romans, who knows for how many chapters Paul writes about theology? You know, John? Yeah? In Romans, it's 11 chapters. So it's 11 chapters. He talks about the gospel, how the gospel is we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. And he said, chapter 1, everyone knows there is a God. People are without excuse. They just practice their sin. Chapter 2, you have a conscience. Everyone knows that there is good and evil. The Jews have the law, but if they don't obey the law, it doesn't matter. Chapter 3, we're all saved by grace. Chapter 4, it's not a new thing. Even Abraham was the same in the Old Testament. Chapter 5, we live the Christian life. Chapter 6, we see there are many different challenges that we battle against sin. Uh, same in chapter 7. Chapter 8, we have victory in Jesus. Nobody can separate us from the love of God. And then someone says, well... What about Israel? Did God forsake Israel? He says, no, he did not. So chapters 9 through 11, this is how God is going to rescue Israel and how we are saved in between by the Gentiles receiving the good news that the, the, the Jews rejected. And it talks about election. Chapter 12, you guessed it, therefore. And then the rest is the practice. And so today we are again in one of the therefore sections. And so we are about to see that all those just central truths of the Christian life, they are encapsulated in one practical thing that if we miss this, then why are we learning all that we are learning? This is the therefore. This is the main thing. As a result of all that God has said, all that God has done, there are things that should change in our lives. And he's saying, do no longer walk like the Gentiles because that's not the way you learn Christ. And then he says, this is how you should walk instead, right? And uh, so let's read Romans 1 and 2. We're going to see that our passage has many different parallels to Romans 12 and Colossians 3, when the therefore starts. So Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by testing, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. You see here, it talks about the renewal of our mind and being not conformed to the world and the old way of life, but to be transformed into newness of life. And in Ephesians 4 that we just read, it will talk about the very same thing. Verse 23, it says, the renewal of the spirit of your mind. So this is a change in our mind that occurs. And you might remember that in the last few weeks, We've, we've uh, compared different key passages of the Bible. We've compared Ephesians 4 because it talks about the spiritual gifts that we just saw in the last two weeks, right? We saw that Christ gave gifts to men. And he gave gifts so that 
You tell me, what's the purpose of the giving of the gift? That's right. Every one of us, we have a gift given by Christ so that we can help edify, build up, spiritually grow the church. And he talks about the same thing in Romans 12. We saw that. In verse 3 that follows what we just read, he said that he has given different, uh, different measure of faith to everyone and then he launches into spiritual gifts. Chapter 3 also talks about that. It talks about the different gifts as well um, and um, of Colossians and then in 1 Corinthians 12. And so now it's all in the same thought of, okay, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to live like a Christian. Now he turns and he tells us what we should do. Let me read a, a little section from John MacArthur, something that I saw in the passage and I thought he expressed quite well, so I'm just going to read what he wrote. In Ephesians 4, Paul makes two appeals based on the fact that believers are new creations. The first begins the chapter. I therefore entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Verse 1. So you've been called to be a different person. And then he says, therefore, walk this way. The second, verse 17, introduces the present text. The present text. Which Paul contrasts the walk of the wicked unbeliever with the walk of the spiritual Christian. He follows the, that contrast with more therefores. Showing that the Christian's proper response to being a new creation. All of this points to the fact that a changed nature demands changed behavior. It is as if it is as if the apostle is saying, since God has created a marvelous new entity in the world called the church, and because of this unique creation with its unique character of humility, its unique empowerment with spiritual gifts, its unique unity as the body of Christ and its need to be built up in love, here is how every believer should live as a member of that church. Does that make sense? That's what we've seen. Chapter 1, it talks about one Lord, one baptism, one body, we're all one. Then it says we all have spiritual gifts that differ so we can all grow the church as a whole in love. And then it says if that's ever going to happen, we got to live this way. So that's our text. So let me read it again. Now this I say, or therefore, I testify in the law that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So question, and it's all in the text so you can dive into the different verses that are in front of you. What are different characteristics of unbelievers listed in Ephesians 4, 17 through 24? And when you list one, if you can, you, you don't have to, but if you can, elaborate on what this practically means. Let's list them first. What are they? Futility of the minds, futile minds, thinking about things that are completely vain. Something else. The ignorance. Ignorance. We just, we just don't come into the world knowing things. We have to learn. And if someone is not a Christian, not interested in the things of Christ, then guess what? They won't know very much about Christ if at all. Something else. Darkened in understanding. That means that the faculties of the mind about spiritual things, they just do not work. So you might wonder, you know, how come people are having all this just irrational 
idea of gender these days. It seems just, I mean, this is very strange. How can that even be a debate? How, how can people argue something as, as just obviously irrational? Well, because the mind or the understanding is darkened. That's the thing. So if you turn off the light, you can't go anywhere. You don't know where you're going. You don't see anything. That's how the mind of the unbeliever is. Relating to morality, spiritual things, God. That's, that's why. So you say, give themselves up to sexuality. Yeah, that's another one. You know, so just whatever you want to do, you do. Yeah, we see it every day, right? It's every day, it's everywhere. Something else. You have one over there? You have another characteristic of uh, unbelievers, according to this passage? If you don't see it in the text, uh, you might also get help from your past life, because that's who we were, by the way. Alienated from God. So separated from God, so people are spiritually dead. Being dead in the Bible means to be separated. Separated, so if someone dies physically, they, their soul, their inner being, which is not material, but spiritual, is separated from their body. So they are now, the body is go, goes into the ground, and then the spirit goes to suffering or comfort in the presence of God. If someone is dead spiritually, like everyone is at birth because of the sin of Adam, we are separated in our soul. Our soul is separated from God. So when it says alienated from God, it means that the, the inner person of every unbeliever is separated from God. Enemies from God. Enemies of God. Enemies? Yeah. And that's why it says in Romans, it says, for while we were still sinners, and later on it says, we were enemies, Christ died for us. So we were enemies of God. Because there is no neutral ground. Either you're with God and you love God, you follow God, you are his subject, or you are rebelling against him and you want to do whatever you want and you are his enemy. It's like that. There's uh, either we are against Christ or we are for Christ. And people might not realize it, uh, but this is what it is. And God, he loves his enemies, tries to die for us when we were still his enemies. So that's really special. It's not like, wow, we were really spiritual people, you know, trying to be friends with God. Like, no, we were not. Until he enlightened our minds. And now he made us, uh, he adopted us, and we were um, made a part of his family. And now we are friends. But that's all because God made the difference. We were actually against him. And if we thought we were not against him, it's because we were so dark and we didn't even realize how far from God we were. We thought, oh, I'm not that bad. Oh, no. There's like either we're dead in our sins or we are alive. There is no in between. But now that yeah. we're uh -huh. basically chosen to be elect, if you sin today, that doesn't make us an enemy of God. It doesn't. But it does it make us. Yeah. Yes, it does not. And, and like it says in Hebrews 12, because we are the children of God, we are adopted. Then, like any um, legitimate child, if we sin, he's going to discipline us. So, that's the difference. Uh, before, people are enemies of God, and then one day they will get the final judgment. And when someone is a and they don't get the discipline, because they are not the children of God. I don't discipline uh, kids, so not, not my kids. And once we are the children of God, then God is not going to let, let us, you know, uh, dishonor Him and sin against him and other people without causing us to have some difficult uh, trials and, and uh, disciplines so that we learn just like our children learn. Do you think discipline will happen on judgment day? No, it happens right now. Like guilt? Uh, it happens in all kinds of ways. Uh, so if, um, yeah, that, that, that would be one. Uh, guilt is the spiritual alarm that God has given into the mind of people so they realize something is wrong and then they should follow their conscience and then repent. It's just physical pain. I have physical pain when I get burned and I realize, oh, it's hot, so I get my hand off. 
Well, when I had this uh, kind of burning in my conscience because I'm sinning, this is an alarm to tell me, like, stop doing this, not good. Just like if you keep your hand on the stove, uh, you eventually get burned pretty bad. Same happens in the conscience. But at some point, the conscience, it becomes seared. If someone doesn't, doesn't follow God, does not obey God, and sin and sin and sin and ne never cares, at some point, they will just think it's totally fine. It's like, no problem, I can do it. Which is what the text says, by the way, it says they are callous. So they have, they don't, they are not sensitive anymore. You see that, right? Uh, it happens. Uh, the extreme would be the serial killer. The first time he killed, he knew that was really, really wrong. But then he did not repent. He did not confess. He did not give, turn himself in. Uh, and then after a while, he kills just like it's nothing, and he becomes just completely insensitive. Same person who steals, right? People say, oh, he has a sickness, he's a kleptoman. No, he has not a sickness, he has a sin issue. Yes, what? He has a sin issue. He's not a kleptoman, he's a thief. That's what the Bible says. Uh, he's not someone who is an alcoholic, he's a drunkard. That's what the Bible says. It's not like, oh, poor you, you have a disease. No, you don't. You have a sin issue. It's not in the genes. Homosexuality is a choice. And so uh, every time we go against our conscience, then we become, like the text says, hardened of heart. So the heart, which is the inner person, we just won't follow God, we won't have soft hearts that are pliable to His will, then eventually it becomes like hard as a stone. And there's nothing that's going to change. It's like stone, you know, this stone heart. Do you know, in, uh, I've been in AA for over 35 years. Mm -hmm. And according to the people in AA, it's like alcoholism or infection is a disease. Mm -hmm. And I can see that aspect of it, but we had our meeting Monday at the gate and, yeah. you know, and everybody else. And I'm starting to believe that it was more of a choice, a bad choice, yeah. but a choice I made until I couldn't get out of it. Yeah, that's right. I truly believe that the only way I did get out of it is by God's help. Mm -hmm. Not mine. Yeah. And, you know, I, I tell people now, it's like God brought me to AA, and AA has brought me to, to God. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah. It's amazing. Like, if you had known me years ago, this is not the kind of thing I'd be doing on a Sunday. Praise God. Yeah. Well, the, I would say that, um, those, like, for example, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, those are uh, sickness from the heart. Mm -hmm. Like everything starts in the heart and mind. Mm -hmm. So before we feel we're dead, right? We were dead. Right. Even right. lying. Because sometimes I think we focus so much on the yep. big, big things. But lying is a thing as well. Right? Yep. So, for example, if I make a promise about doing something but I don't follow mm -hmm. up, I'm lying mm -hmm. and I'm deceiving myself. Um, and yeah. that would be kind of like, that, that is not covering God, right? Right. Um, so I think as soon when God is in our hearts and in our minds, then we will be convicted. Yeah. And therefore we will turn our ways. So we will no longer dream, mm -hmm. we will no longer lie, yeah. we will no longer, etc. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, and, I mean, in Psalms, it talks about this, that, that uh, verse seven things that God hates, mm -hmm. and one of them is a lying tongue. And it gets out like God hates a lying tongue. We can often disregard those things that are lying. Yeah, and this is in the Proverbs. That's right. Um, so there are those things, and uh, and someone who just lies, 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 and does not just listen to what God is showing him or her that this is wrong. Then they become liars where they just do this like they cannot but help to lie all the time. Well, it's because they have become accustomed and, and hardened of heart. And there is this also this, you know, the Bible says that basically sin gives birth to sin. You want to go into sin? It's going to just it's going to be an avalanche. It's not going to stop. Well, I'm just doing this. No, no. it's going to get into this, into that, into this. Right? So that's how it goes. That's how it goes. You know, you know, no matter how you look at it, it's a, you're a thief. Yeah. Uh, myself, I, I was a drunk and a junkie. You know, there was no, yeah. no, no classy thing about it. And, yeah. you know, that the only way that, you know, I got better. Yeah. And 
just broke from yeah. God. And the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit constrains sin on the earth. There's this verse in Job that says, if God removes his spirit, then people die. And there is also the, it depends on the interpretation of people, but I, I take it that uh, the restrainer in the book of First Thessalonians, that's the Holy Spirit that restrains sin in the world. Uh, and when it's removed, there will be a havoc on the earth for seven years where people would just have no restraints anymore and they would just go. Because the Bible says the, the Holy Spirit, he convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So people, the God is like telling them when they do wrong, this is wrong, and helping them to not be as bad as they can be, and helping them also to be, that's common grace, that he helps everyone, he gives the rain on the just and the unjust, and he works um, on the heart of people so that they, the, the society will be uh, protected from how worse it could get. And then if people disobey, then guess what? Then God, more and more, okay, that's what you want, and you're gonna get more of that, and then you have the consequences of that, right? Another one that we see in the text is given themselves to sensuality and greed or greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Yes? I was just thinking to come back to uh, uh -huh. when you talked about, when you about uh, when you see seen as a Christian, how, yes. what would be the discipline? And I feel like we no, he asked if we uh, somehow we uh, we are going to be uh, separated from God or if we're going to be like uh, kind of becoming non-Christians again. So the answer is no, because now we are God's children and God, he never loses any one of his uh, child. Uh, Jesus said, uh, I will lose none of the one that you have given me. But as children, we will be disciplined so that we grow. And that's really what the text is about also. That's <coughs> What's that? Yes, yes. Because the Bible says we have received the Holy Spirit, and one of the things that happens when we have the Holy Spirit, and that's really in line with uh, what we're studying today, is that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Did you hear that? We can, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. So it says in Ephesians 4.30, it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit uh, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And so if the Holy Spirit is grieved or saddened, then guess what's going to happen to me? I'm going to be grieved and saddened. So when you sin and you're a Christian, you realize that's wrong and you do not feel okay about it. You are sad and you are led to repent. In the same way, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit by obedience and the grace of God, then you have the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, and so on. And therefore you have joy. So if you make the spirit uh, rejoice, you will rejoice. If you make the spirit grieve, you will grieve. And this is all like leading us to be um, to be more like Christ. And I was thinking also like when we sin against God, uh, and when you don't do that, uh, you can discipline us in different ways. You can have different trials coming at us. Uh, and sometimes when you have those trials, you should like look into your own life and think, okay. That, do I have a thing that I'm not repenting of? That can happen. I mean, it's not like, uh, it's not a mystery. See, one of the things, like, you know, I, I was raised Catholic. Uh, I abandoned that church, I mean, you know, a long time ago. But, you know, that, that basically guilt and if it's sin, it's real simple. You know, you put more money in the basket. And you say, like, 25 Hail Marys and 105 of our fathers, and then you forget. Yeah. But, you know, here, it's, uh, I believe that the guilt is, you know, God given. Because we. Right. I was speaking for myself, but at this point in my journey, I'm starting to believe, like, what is right and what is wrong. Or at least have a good. Uh, uh, perception and concept of, of what's right and wrong. Right. And, you know, I might not know the scripture or stuff like that, but from listening, then you get the basic gist of, of what it should be to be a Christian. You know, I can't quote Isaiah or, you know, any things like that. But, you know, I guess you stick around here long enough, you start getting, like, a general idea yeah. of the path that you should be taking. Right. And I, I also find that, like, um, 
If, if you want to see how, how much somebody's a Christian, you be with them on 347 at 8 in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's true. But, you know, even, even with that, though, with, with, you know, take, just getting nasty and stuff like that, you start to realize, you know, that's not, I don't believe that's what the direction that God wants us to go. Yeah, so we, we basically are saying here that when you become a Christian, you become saved, but then you have your whole life now to grow as a Christian, right? So that's called salvation or justification and then sanctification. And then um, once when we die and we go to be in the presence of Christ, um, then there is glorification. That's when we have a body that's glorified, that cannot sin anymore, that cannot die anymore, and we are in the very presence of Christ. So we were exactly talking about what I hoped we would be discussing, uh, but let's try to apply that more. You see, he's saying, we should no longer walk like the Gentiles do, i.e., that's a problem we can have, right? Obviously, we should no longer walk like that. He lists those things. So then, briefly, for the sake of time, but still, you may have ways that specifically we have to guard against that those things we just read that used to be how we lived. That was my life. That was your life in, any, in different ways, but it, it was our lives. How can that creep back in? So that we are in, uh, we are guarding against walking like that, and I mean for sure, let's not fool ourselves because again, it's a process of sanctification. We have those issues right now, in different ways. So how can we be futile in our minds, or ignorant, or hard-hearted? And the other things we read, the greed and so on. You know, just bullet points. How can we today fall into that? Anybody has an idea? The company, okay. Uh, in, in what way could that, could that affect us? Like for example, if I hang out with people that have good language or have like different ideas that are against God, uh -huh. then maybe more of, and I have never like read the Bible, I don't seek after fellowship, Yeah. then I would be maybe start acting like them. Exactly. So the Bible says, oh, go ahead. Bad company corrupts uh, good manners. Exactly. And so if you are going to spend a lot of time with people who are alienated from the life of God, they won't have nothing to do with the life of God, then guess what? You're going to be becoming just like them. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be with people who are not Christians. Of course we should. And that's how we can also show them the way. We can be kind to our neighbors. And most of us, we've not accepted Christ the first time we've heard about him, right? It took a long time. So we don't want to be just thinking uh, in a, in a short-term manner. We want to remember that God is the one who causes the growth. And we have to sow a little seeds here and water a little bit of gospel here and a little bit of... Christian practice here and this is all in the hands of God but if you're going to spend a lot of time with people who are just manifesting all those things you're going to be just like them something else the greed right I mean we are in a culture that's uh, always dissatisfied we always can think of uh, things we want to have more or we could even have good reasons to be willing to have like a bit more savings for something and then it can become uh, something that's uh, not balanced and that's really manifesting some greed even though we might put a veneer or something else so we have to watch over that we have to watch uh, against that what you just said like reminds me of we are studying James right now in the mm -hmm. She was the one leading to that path, right? What is it uh, in what verse is it written uh, about the desires that? Yeah, you can oh, just quote it. Uh, Yeah. It says uh, every person is enticed by his own or her own desires, and then when the desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin and then death. And sin, full grown, which is dead. Yeah. 
So that's like you oh. let your bad desires cry. All right. So we all uh, do something here. And usually desire, like usually desire is like a bad thing that you want, but at least in the Bible, but of course you have like desire from God, and hopefully you forget that you know on semantic here. Um, but yeah, if you let those bad wants, uh, things that discontent. And uh, and greed that you were talking about, if you let them grow and you don't like cut them uh, or kill them in the egg, then yeah, they give you to sin. Right. So we have to guard against that. We all have issues there. And what we're saying here is that it all starts where. Yeah, it all starts here, there. That's the same thing. It all starts with the thoughts. And this is what we see in Ephesians 4.22 that we're considering right now. Put off the old self or your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So it all starts with the mind. Futility of the mind. Another thing. It's okay to have a certain level of entertainment or sports or other activities to just relax and then do some exercise and things. So, and, and then I, I like this verse in the book of uh, Ecclesiastes. It says, do not be uh, too wise. Why would you distract yourself or destroy yourself? The idea is that, you know, uh, there is a time where it's fine to just relax, right? And have some rest and vacation. But if you push that too much and you're trying to be um, holy in a way that will be um, not really biblical and balanced, then it says you can destroy yourself. But the point is that I don't think we have too much of that concern for most of us. I think we are more having the concern of the feudal mind. That is, we just spend too much time on things that are just plain vanity. Vanity. Uh, so, the three things that stand out to me in this passage, if I were to summarize, he's saying, that's your past life. Get this out of your life. What? Futility, vanity. I mean, think about what people search after everywhere in the world every area of life vanity sex and money those are the three things he talks about and uh, I have read an interesting comment about the last piece in verse 19 greedy to practice every kind of impurity the person was commenting on the fact that the biggest sinful industries in the United States are very profitable they make billions of dollars with their sin. And so the greed fuels the sin. And the sin fuels the greed. It's like this. Right? So we, we must guard against that. So now, we have to move on. We don't have a lot of time left. Uh, so let's try to make the most of the time remaining. What is the one and only solution to this situation? Those sins, those pitfalls according to our text it's all in the text what is the one and only solution yes god. that's god and how is the, the text phrasing it how is the text uh, putting it you're right god is the solution but the text makes it clear in one particular phrase what is that phrase that's a little bit before and the answer is verse 20 that is not the way you learn Christ. So how can I how can I be different? You have to learn Christ. Isn't that beautiful? You have to learn Christ. That's how I can be different. That's how I can be saved. You have to learn Christ. What does it mean? Well, it says you have assuming if you have learned Christ, you're not going to be like that. Well, I'm assuming that two things are true. You have heard about him intellectual knowledge of who Jesus is. You have to know the facts. You have to know the facts. But it's not just the facts. So it's assuming you have heard about him and you were taught in him. So this in him, it means that there is a, an experiential learning and a communion with Jesus. It's not just things about Jesus that I know. It's now I have learned to live in him. And so there is both the the learning about Jesus intellectually and experientially and our union. Now, I love the end of the passage. It says, but this is not the way you have learned Christ. I mean, look at this sentence. 
If I if it was a day for preaching, I would be like with a strong voice telling you, this is not the way that you learn Christ. Think about how strong this is. Beautiful statement that Paul makes. He says, this is how you used to live. And this is not the way you learn Christ. And then he says, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. You know what this means? This is what it means. You're not going to change your life by any philosophies, other religion, any other thing. If it's not in Jesus, it's not the truth, it doesn't change you at all. Because the truth is in Jesus. John 14, 6, uh, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So you see how beautiful this is? He's saying, assuming you know the truth, and it's only in Jesus. It's just Jesus. Beautiful. And so this is how we are really changed. This is how we can live for God's glory. There is no spiritual, there is no spiritual change or lasting value in anything else that is, that is not in Jesus. We have to learn Christ. That's how we change from the first few verses to the next ones. So then we look at the whole section, 17 through 24, and I have two questions for you. We want to see the big picture in the passage. What are the four action verbs in our passage? Four action verbs. I'm going to write them. You tell me. Four action verbs. That is, things we ought to do. This is how you study the Bible, by the way. You look at not only the facts that are listed or the things that are mentioned, but what, what it says we should do. And this helps you to see where he's going. All right. There are four action verbs in 17 through 24. What are they? Okay. But it's not just walk, is it? It's walk no longer. Right? Walk no longer. That's good. That's one of them. Another one. Sorry? Loss of sensitivity. So that's, uh, that's also a verb, but it's describing what is uh, true of unbelievers, not what he's saying directly to the believers, right? So he's saying, no longer walk like people who lost their sensitivity. But it's a good try. Someone else? So we're looking again, verbs that are commands for the Christians. So he's not saying, lose your sensitivity, right? He's saying, do not walk. Yes? Okay, lay aside. It's also translated put off. Right? I'm going to go for put off. But that's the correct uh, answer. Put off. So here we are seeing what we are not to do. The negative side. You put off this old life. This has nothing to do in your life right now. You no longer walk like that. What is the positive side? Put on. All right, so that's the, the parallel to that one. Put on. Be renewed. And the other one is be renewed. Okay, those are the four action verbs. So that's my new life. That's my old life. I no longer walk. As I used to, I removed this, uh, this is the metaphor of the garment, this is gone, all this stained garment, gone. Now, I put on Christ, I live like Christ, and I am renewed. So now, let's, uh, and, and here is the, um, the reason why he mentions that. The gospel is that Christ died for our sins, 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. Christ died for all sins according to the scriptures, was buried according to the scriptures, and was raised on the third day. And so what happens? Well, we die to our sins and we bury the old self. We bury the old man. And we live in the resurrection of the new man. Do you see that? We live the gospel. We die to sin, we bury the sinful habits, and we live in resurrection life with the newness of life so that's really the gospel and um, let me ask you a question how often are we commanded not to do those things according to the text and the implications that we can see 
How often? Is this? I prayed a prayer 10 years ago, and now I'm living like I don't go to church, I don't read my Bible, I don't pray. But I prayed a prayer 10 years ago. I accepted Jesus into my heart. I walked the aisle, I was baptized, so I'm good, right? I did that a long time ago. I'm good, thank you very much. Is that, is that it? Constantly. constantly so it's a daily thing it says walk no longer so walking we do it every day so that's the just pattern the what's that just change the walk that's right yeah we no longer walk like that basically this is the way of hell that's the way of Christ I no longer walk that way I'm walking this way and it's one step at a time this 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 and every day every day um, I think something to um, God will give us a power to walk in a manner that will glorify Him. Yeah. It's not on our own strength. Sure. Because I think if we end up thinking like, oh, this is all me, 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 yeah. there is no God in that. Right. And like you say, He's our Father, therefore He will provide, He has given us a food. Yeah. We have to do something. Yeah. Yeah. But it's Him. Yeah, I like that. It's actually what we see here, right? Uh, it says put off. Are you really putting off the old man if you're not working no more in the ways of uh, pagans? Well, no, you're not. Are you really putting on if you're not being renewed? Well, no, you're not. But being renewed implies someone else outside of you is the, doing the renewal. So you rely on someone else to do the renewal, and that's God and the Holy Spirit, right? And so, yes, we definitely do not rely on our own. Uh, please, someone, everyone turn to Luke uh, 9.23, and someone volunteer to read, please, Luke 9.23. We're going to see the daily piece. I'm trying to um, highlight the fact that this is a daily repentance and a daily renewal. Please remember that. That's the key. I've been trying to say that we are looking at the cornerstone of Christian living. This is the main thing, the main therefore, the main so what. And so the answer is daily renewal. Daily, no longer walking in sin. And uh, so Luke 9.23. And he said to all, if anyone could let him deny himself and take up his cross daily follow him. Thank you. So Jesus is saying, if anyone wants to be a Christian, you have to deny yourself, which is repenting and denying all the sinful things that uh, you, know, you desire, that come your way, and take up your cross, which is accepting to die to, to self and uh, to suffer. And it's just once in your lifetime, right? Now he says daily. So you have to die to sin daily and follow him daily. That's a daily thing. That's the cost of being a Christian. And the cost is high. It's not something that's going to be easy. It is a daily crucifying sin to live in, right, in righteousness. And so the implication is, if we no longer walk in, in sin, and daily we refuse to walk in sin, daily we put off the old self, well, and that's something that I learned earlier in my Christian life, is that you don't just stop to sin. You learn to do righteous things. You don't just talk evil habits. You replace them with godly habits. You see that? So if you have, you spend time and there are a lot of things that are just, uh, you know, you, I know so you have a lot of time and you do evil things. Like it's not going to do to just do nothing on the couch. You have to do something that's a godly discipline. Use your time. Something that's, that's going to be holy and helpful. You have to replace what is wrong with what God commands. You can't just put off the old self and then you're naked. No, you put on Christ. So that's very helpful, is it not? How can I fight this? Just replace it with something good and just rely on God. That's how it's gonna change. Otherwise, it's gonna be just a, a little pause and eventually you'll fall back in. You have to have the second piece. And so then, yes? It's like uh, when Jesus talks about Demon out of mm-hmm. the thing he's possessed, and if this person doesn't get the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. uh, then the demon come back. Yeah, the state of this person is worse than before. Right. I think that's the Yeah, it's a great illustration. 
Please turn to 1 Corinthians, actually 2 Corinthians 4.16. 2 Corinthians 4.16. So now we are zeroing in on the be renewed piece. Be renewed. We're trying to figure out what does that mean? How often do I have to do it? How does that work? What are the other passages saying about this so I can get some insights? 2 Corinthians 4.16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, that's my body. My body is getting older and older and older. It's not getting any better. Of course, I can exercise and make some positive change, but at the end of the day, I'm still getting old, and I should exercise. So though my outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed once a year. Day by day. Day by day. So this renewal, that is the main Christian command. Therefore, brothers, I urge you, be, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed in the renewal of your mind. So that's the main command of the Christian life. And it's a daily, being renewed day by day. Please turn to chapter 3, verse 18, I believe. If someone can... Um, read it for us. I will actually pull it up on my phone. See if this is the right verse. I believe it's Second Corinthians three eighteen. Yep. Thank you. So the word transformed is the same that the one we see in Romans 12, which is all in the same context as what we are reading here. So we are transformed by the Holy Spirit as we behold, we behold God. All right. So we have some insights here. Uh, then we have seen it's the renewal of what part of us? Huh? The renewal of our mind. Ephesians 4.23 Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And um, so someone has translated the spirit of your mind as the attitude of your mind. So there is some attitude change that needs to happen in my heart, in my mind. I need to be renewed inside of me. I need to have good thoughts. And how is that going to happen? Well, we have to look at the other passages. And so if we look at... Um, Colossians 3, it says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Verse 9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And then verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts or bowels of mercies. Alright, so what have we learned so far? We've learned that to be renewed, it's going to happen in your mind. It's going to happen through knowledge of the Creator who made us in the likeness of the image of Christ. And, uh, and so, you know, you have to go back to Genesis here. You have to see Adam was made to look like God and to live like God on the earth. And then Satan and Adam and Eve, they ruined everything. And so now, just try to catch this. God wants us to reflect what was happening in the garden before the fall, right now. He wants us to be renewed in the image. So when I pursue sanctification, I'm actually working by the grace of God to look like Adam, actually the second Adam, Jesus Christ, so that I give God the glory on this earth as there is the kingdom story unfolding. I'm, I'm trying to please God by looking more like Jesus. 
And in the book of Colossians, it says this, Colossians 1. It says, Him we proclaim, that's Christ, Him we proclaim, admonishing every man, teaching every man, to present every man before God like Christ. So, Paul is saying, we proclaim Christ, we admonish, we teach people Christ, so that they may be transformed to look like Christ. And then in chapter 3, we just read, we are renewed in the knowledge of the likeness of God. And in chapter 3.16, who knows what is Colossians 3.16? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So that's how it works. We can become more like Christ. We can be renewed on a daily basis. How? By having the word of Christ dwell in us richly. So you see that this is the intellectual path we heard about earlier, assuming you have heard of him. Then you also have to practice it. So if you see the chapter, the chapter says you cannot grow in your Christian life without who? Without Christ and the other people who have received spiritual gifts. You remember? We cannot grow without the whole body working together, making the body uh, grow in love. So what does it mean? In practice, it means every day I need to read my Bible. Do you do what... Uh, Acts 17.11 recommends or commends it's the Berean Christians Christians of the city of Berea and they were more noble than those of Thessalonica because the text says they examined the scriptures daily to see if what they had been taught they had been taught was true they were reading the Bible every day and they are commended for that in the book of Psalms, in Psalm 119, it says, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. I have hidden your word in my heart so that I can put off this dirt from my life. And this word that comes into my heart, then it makes me be renewed in my mind as I think about the truth of God, as I don't spend my time on futile things. You see, it says, don't walk in the futility of the mind. Be renewed in your mind. So you have to fill your minds with truth from God. You have to have a biblical response to what happens in life. And I'll give you one final thing. Who knows this beautiful passage in Lamentations? Lamentations. Your mercies are new every morning. You remember this passage? Lamentations 3, 22, 23. There is a song. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. Great is your faithfulness. Every morning we have the mercies of God. They are new for us. And what have we read in Romans 12? I appeal to you, brothers, therefore, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God, be renewed. The renewal that we read happens day by day. So every day, God gives you mercies. And because of his mercies, now Paul is appealing to us and saying, put on, put on Christ. And I will end with this. You know what I found so beautiful? Is that in Colossians, again, the Paulan passage, it says, put on therefore as elects of God. See, people say, all this theology we learned in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, that doesn't matter, election. Oh, no, it does. Colossians 3 says, as elects of God, because you are chosen, do you know what you should do? So he's saying that has big implications. That's who you are. And it says, as elects of God, put on therefore bowels of mercies, tender hearts of mercies. So he's saying, see all the mercies of God that he gives to you every morning. And he's appealing to you by the mercies of God to have a renewed mind. When you do that, you know what happens? Then you'll have mercies for others. This is beautiful. 
So let's pray. Dear God, we, we ask you, your help uh, to be renewed in our minds, not to spend our time in futility, in sinful practices, but to walk daily in, in your truth and to know Jesus Christ and, and to be in the fellowship of other believers so that we can have their encouragements, Lord, and their spiritual gifts, and we can have the joy of obedience, and uh, we can have this obedience change us by your Spirit more and more into the image of your Son. Help us not to uh, live uh, in the ways that we have not learned Christ, but uh, to really uh, be uh, pleasing to you. Amen.